is it belongs together. And if we cut it up too much, we won't get the sense of what it's all saying. And I want you to get the sense. I think that as you study God's word, you want to study it in the sections that it was meant, that it was written in, so that you can understand it properly. Too often times, you know, we do a devotion, and what we do is we go, oh, what you want me to read today, Lord? Okay. And we just start out, you know, that's a crazy way to study, and we won't get much out of that that way. It's, it's amazing. God can speak to us in any kind of way, and, and we can do something like that, and God can still speak, but we need to understand what he has to say. And so today, now as we go through Exodus, we want to we keep it in, in context, and we want to see what God mentioned. Let me give you a very short, um, well, three-point outline of the whole book of Exodus. A summary, three-point outline of the whole book of Exodus. First, we see the desperate conditions of God's people. Chapter 1. Chapter 2 to 18, we see God steps in and delivers his people. In chapter 19, all the way through 40, God instructs his people for living. That's a very simple three-part outline of Exodus. So what we have gone through is we've seen the desperate times of God's people. They were in Egypt. They were slaves. They were cruelly treated. God heard and saw what was happening to them, and he stepped in. He showed his power in the ten plagues. He rescued Israel and brought them out. The whole book, Exodus, means bringing out or exit. He, he had them exit out of Egypt, but for what purpose? Now they're in the wilderness waiting for God's instruction and his leading. And so he's going to lead them ultimately to what's called the promised land, a land that he had prepared for them to live. He even showed in this passage how was he going to have them take that land. It said he wasn't going to give it to them all at once because they weren't ready for that. It would be like, you know, you and I, God saying, hey, I'm going to give you this whole city. And we go, well, wait a minute. We're only going to live in this part. Every part that we not live is going to turn up to get run down because we aren't taking possession of it. So God gave it to them a little bit at a time for what they could handle. The other thing is, what is this for us? What does this mean for us today? What's the picture here? Well, the very simple picture is the picture of God's salvation for us. We see our desperate condition in sin. I praise God for the testimony of our candidates for baptism today. Amen. And even our youngest candidate, as young as he is, he, he saw the desperate need when he had a look at death. And saying, I got to be prepared to face death so that I can come out as a vict in, in victory like Dwayne did. And I know what's needed for that. So we see the desperate need of the condition of God's people. And then we see God stepping in. Well, he stepped in to point us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Before we were saved, we... We had no idea what real trouble we were in, or maybe we had some idea, but we had no idea how to get out of it. And God had the solution. 
And so he came in and pointed us to his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what happens after we get saved? And this is where a lot, of, a lot of people stumble. You know, they tell me I don't have to be a part of a church and I can just live on my own. I got everything I need. They remind me of when I was five years old learning how to ride a bike. And my brother and my sister, they, they would kind of like guide me and run alongside me as I learned how to pedal. And once I got going so, so far, then I was like, hey, this. I got this. Look back at them like, see ya, I don't need y'all no more until I got to the tree. And at the tree, I had to turn around and make a U-turn. Going straight is easy. Turning is a challenge. So is life. You have to stop and make decisions and go the right way and make a change. It's difficult. I thought I could handle it myself. And sometimes as Christians, we think God saved me and now I'm, I'm fine. I can do things on my own. He's given me the Holy Spirit to understand his word. I'm, I'm taking in his word. I'm getting it for myself. But he puts you in a place in the church to get his instruction, to learn how he wants you to live and how he wants you to interact with others. Because he didn't, he didn't have you live on an island all by yourself. He connected you with other people. He has a purpose in that. He has your purpose in mind and their purpose as well. But God is doing the same with Israel that he's doing with us is he sees our desperate condition, he saves us, and then he instructs us for living a life for his glory. Now, you may think that the promised land would be it. Once they got into the promised land, that was it. But really, the, the promised land is not so much a picture of heaven. I think sometimes we get that idea as a picture of heaven. Really, it's a picture of living a victorious life for Christ here. In other words, we still face challenges. Israel still faced challenges in, in a promised land. That's what God said <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm not going to get rid of all your enemies. You're still going to have some because they're going to help you to depend on me. And you will learn to trust me and I'll give you victory after victory after victory there. And so really, as a Christian, our life after trusting Christ is what he's talking about. He says, you still have challenges in your life. And I want you to learn, get instruction from me to how to live that. And I want you to challenge, I want you to, to handle those challenges by trusting in me and interacting with your fellow brothers and sisters. Israel was not going to gain the land that God had given them if they didn't listen to God and cooperate together. So this is part of, of God's uh, instruction for us. So let me, let me get into this. We have a lot to cover today. Um, but actually, um, it's, it's, it's going to be condensed because we're not going to try to cover everything in these three chapters. And I can tell you why. It's a picture for us. You may ask the question, does this even apply to me today? The first mention, he's talking about slaves. And I know here we are in Black History Month in February, and we're looking at the slaves in, in, in the Bible days and, 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 and God's instruction to them. And for some of us, that just kind of turns us off. But what it ought to do is show that God had compassion and understanding for the people living in that time. First of all, we need to understand slavery then was not what was experienced in the slavery here in America. 
It was not a slavery based on color of skin or race. Uh, for the most part, it was a slavery based on, on, on uh, uh, finances. You didn't have the means to do for yourself. You were a rented or a, a hired servant uh, to someone. But anyway, let's, let's take a look then at God's word. We're going to ask several questions as we look at this. Uh, I mentioned a couple of them. What laws are applicable for us today? Secondly, what does the law, if we take God's law as a whole, what does it illustrate? And what is the purpose of the law? chapter 20, we looked at the Ten Commandments, and that's, when we say the law, sometimes we're talking about, that's a short, that's a term for the Ten Commandments. Sometimes it's a term for all of God's instruction to his people Israel in the Old Testament. Um, But let me just look at the Ten Commandments first. We said this last week, that the Ten Commandments give us instruction for right relationships. And he deals with, in the first four commandments, the relationship, what I call the vertical relationship between man and God. How do we get right on the vertical? And then in commandments number five through 10, he deals with the horizontal relationship. Commandment of relationship between person to person, individual to individual. So God's word has something to say about both of those of our relationships with God and our relationship with each other. And so in chapters 21, 22, and 23, he gets more specific and more detailed about their particular life. We ask the question, what does this relate, how does this relate to me today? First of all, it relates in this way. Jesus said in the New Testament that we can summarize the Old Testament law and the Ten Commandments into two. You remember what they were? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. It's found in Matthew 22, verse 34 through 39. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. And the second one was what? Love your neighbor as yourself. He says this summarizes all of the law. In fact, he was saying not just the Ten Commandments, but all of the Old Testament is, is narrowed down to this truth. He's, God is showing us how we ought to be connected with him in our vertical relationship and how that impacts and it should have a say then and how we're connected to each other and how we ought to treat one another. Start with loving God. To love the Lord your God. In other words, you should have a personal connection and relationship with God so that you love, honor, and obey him. And then the second part of that commandment is you ought to have respect, love, and dignity for each other in such a way that you treat others as you would like to be treated. In fact, Jesus gave the golden rule, right? Treat others as you would have them treat yourself. And so that summarizes all. So we can look at chapter 21, 22, and 23 and see all that he gives as fitting in those two categories. He's going to show them how to worship specifically, 
how they were to, to, to worship God, the kind of sacrifices they were to have, and, and, and just all of that uh, detail. And then how they were to interact with each other. So the principle of the law is given for us today, even though the specifics of the law aren't. In other words, I don't have to go to the Old Testament to show me exactly how to live, but I certainly get the principle of living from the Old Testament. Now, some would say then that the Old Testament is is totally thrown out, and I don't buy that. It's not thrown out because it gives us a glorious principle of how God would have his people respond to him and respond to each other. And certainly we can see those things renewed in the New Testament in terms of instruction for us. Let me just touch real quickly on some of the things that he gets into detail in chapter 21 and 22. When he talks about how they were to treat slaves, he's talking about the proper and the right treatment of each other, specifically those who were servants to you or we slaves or the word servants we use. In our day, we could say employees. So it would give us principles for how to interact with each other in that way. So he has laws about slavery or how slaves were treated. He also deals with violence and criminal behavior and disputes that people have. No matter what day and age we live in, we're going to be dealing with that. And what you'll notice here is that it's going to teach us, first of all, and when I'm getting into the purpose of the law, it's going to show us the very character of God. Can I highlight one, one small thing in the character of God? In chapter 22, verse 21, he says this, You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. And my wrath will burn and I will kill you with a sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. The principle here is that God is a compassionate God. And he cares about how we treat those who are going through hard times, who have difficulties in their life, he cares about that. Think about that. God is not some distant God who's thrown us here and says, hey, fend for yourself. He cares about the particular details in our life, and he cares about individuals that somehow, sometimes don't get attention or don't get the care that they may need. God is a compassionate God. One of the things that we're going to learn from the law is God's very character and his nature. So we see that. We also see the sense of fairness and what is right and what is wrong. The law helps us to see that from God's eye, what that is. 
let me do this and just talk about the purpose of the law in four ways. What, does, what is the purpose then of the law? What should we see in the law? The first thing I've mentioned, the law reveals God's character, that he is holy, just, and concerned about our well-being, our interaction with him, and our interaction with one another. Does God care about how you talk to your wife, or how you talk to your husband, or how you talk to your children, or children, how you talk to your parents? Yes, God is concerned about those little details. Is God concerned about your attitude? The last of the Ten Commandments, you shall not covet. He says, I want you to be content with whatever I've given you. You notice, God doesn't give everybody the same. He wants us to be content with what he has given us. I wish I had so-and-so's job, or I wish I was making much money. I wish I, he got an easy job. He worked for a good company, or his boss, or his benefits, and this and that. God says, shut up. <laughs> Be content with where you are. That's what he says. So God shows that he's concerned with even the details of our life. That's the principle that we are to get here. I want to share two verses with you in that. The first is Psalm 19, verse 7 through 11. You might need a pencil if you want to write some of this down. And if you don't get it all down, you can see me later. I can give it to you. Psalm 19, 7 through 11 is this. I'm going to read it for you. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is pure. Excuse me. The testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping of them, there is great reward. It reminds us of God's law, the exalted nature of God's law because it reflects him. Romans is another verse. Romans 7, 12. It says this. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. God's law is holy. It reflects him. It's righteous. It reflects him. It's good. It reflects him. The second thing I want us to remember as the purpose of the law, the law reveals our sin. The law reveals our sin. Let me read it and then let me explain it. Romans 3, verse 19 and 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. The purpose of the law was to identify what's wrong and what's right. To show us what 
sin is. And then he makes this statement that under the law, in other words, when, when, when each of us examines ourselves against what God has said, we will find that none of us can be justified. None of us can stand before God right, boldly, and saying, I'm good, Lord. He said, oh, you must can't read. You must have no idea what I've said. You act like you don't even remember what you did yesterday. God says nobody will be able to stand in his presence justified by how they have kept the law. They won't be able to do it. Romans 7, verse 7 says this, what, shall, what then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you should not covet. In other words, the law identifies sin. Come on, y'all. Y'all know what we're talking about. When, 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 when you're on the job... And your boss says, look, I, I got to talk to you. Um, you <laughs> however system you got, demerits or, uh, or, or points against you, you, you know what you're going to ask? You never told me that. And he's going to say, well, look, it's written in, in that code that you signed when you, when you, when you hired on. And you go, uh, uh, no, it wasn't, because I read it. It ain't written in there. We got some smart folk. They, they know. <laughs> in other words, you're going to say, no, uh-uh. You never told me that this was wrong, and it ain't written in any code, so you can't, you can't blame or mark me for being wrong. You never said if I was absent three times in a, in a six-month period that I would get a demotion point. And it wasn't written anywhere. It's the law that helps us see clearly where sin is. Because if you said that and your boss came back, well, hey, hey, look, is this your signature right here? <laughs> Turn to page three, <laughs> paragraph four, subsection A. It says, would you read that for me? And you have you read it just to embarrass you, right? It identifies what's accepted, what's acceptable, and what's not acceptable, what's right and what's wrong. Now, the third purpose of the law, it reveals our desperate condition and our need for a Savior. One question I used to ask people as I witnessed to them, have you kept the Ten Commandments? Now, some people would try to say, yes. I've kept the Ten Commandments. And I say, what about number nine? Don't lie. You just lied. Because you didn't keep them all. And you might want to argue that. But the law shows our desperate need. Now, here it is. In Romans chapter 2, it tells us that we, and we know this. We each have built into us a code of ethics, an idea of what's right and what's wrong. 
Everybody has that written in them. Let me just scripturally lay that for you. It says in Romans chapter 2, verse 13, For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law. Let me paraphrase that. Those of us who are saved, we get condemned by people who ain't even saved all the time. They say, you a Christian and you doing that? You know what I'm talking about. They know that as a Christian, I shouldn't be involved in this. Pastor Kenner, are you, did, did you look at that woman? Like, wait, 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 man, I didn't do it. You know, they know that that would be wrong if I did that. Pastor Kenner, did, did you slip? Did you say that word? They know it would be wrong if I said that. We have an innate system in ourselves of what's right and wrong. Now, sometimes it can be warped, and it does get warped. But the fact is, we have it. God has put it in us. He's put a code in us. I guarantee you, whatever country you go to, wherever it is around the world, you walk up to a person and spit in their face, they know exactly what that means. It ain't a culture where that's acceptable. Oh, greetings. No. There is an innate in us that says, no, you don't treat me like that, and I'm not going to let you treat me like that, and I'm going to let you know you're wrong. The same thing with slapping a person. We know. We have a sense of what's right and wrong. It's very interesting when you teach young children. It's because they have the, the discussions and arguments. You go like, man, I didn't know you was that smart. If, if you take a toy from them, they know. You can't just come and grab a toy from me. It's mine. It's mine. I have possession of it. It belongs to me. It's wrong for you to take it. They might not explain all the detail like you, but they know. They know God has built that in us. What I'm saying is this. God has built within us his code. The Bible says we, we are made in the image of God, every last single human being. That's why we honor life, because life is made in his image. And so we know we have a sense of what's wrong. Now, I, I agree, we do have to work out the details, and we can get... Um, we, can, we, we can really get uh, complicated into some things. But the Bible is written, the law was written so that we would understand clearly some things that are right and things that are wrong. That's why there's things identified in the Old Testament that are still just simple and true and plain today. There are some things that are culturally related and, 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 and we can see that and understand it. But there, there are some principles that are just basic and he tells us that. It says, I'm going to finish reading what I was reading from Romans chapter 2. In verse 14, it says, They are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. It's talking about Gentiles. We can refer to unbelievers in that same sense. Verse 15, They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or excuse them. 
on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. And so the law reveals our own need for a Savior. In Romans chapter 7, he says it this way. Romans 7, 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. In other words, he's saying this, we innately know and have a sense for right and wrong, but we can't keep it. We can't keep it. It's a lot easier to look at somebody else and accuse them rightly of doing wrong, but it's so much harder for us to see ourselves in the wrong that we have done. In other words, what he's saying here, we have this ability to see and understand right from wrong, but we fail miserably when it comes to keeping up that standard of right. We have a sin nature within us, and it's so hard for us to do that. And so we have a need for a Savior. The whole point of the law was to, to, to put us in desperate times and to show that we can't live this life on our own. We need a Savior. And so the law in various ways points to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to explore the many ways that it does that in the times, in the, in the messages to come. But I just want to share um, just one verse as we close our time together. In John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Later on, it says, This Word became flesh and lived among us. It's interesting that Jesus is referred as the Word, the communication that comes from God, the pure communication that comes directly from God. The law points to the word. We need Christ to live the way that God has demanded that we live. God wants us to throw our hands up in frustration and say, Lord, I can't do this in my own strength. And he says, I know. I know because of that sin nature working in you, you need a savior. And so he brings us to Christ. Christ fulfilled the law. In other words, he lived perfectly so that he could represent us without violating anything that God has established and then pay the price for our sin. And God accepts that price. The whole law, all the Ten Commandments, all the Old Testament then, is begging and pleading for Christ to come and make us what we cannot do ourselves. Forgive us of our sin and make us righteous before God, right standing before God. Jesus and Jesus alone does that. So all the time Israel was worshiping and, and trying to live out this law, they should have been groaning and straining and saying, Lord, 
save us. Send to us a redeemer, a mediator, a savior that can not just instruct us, but come within us to live inside of us, to get the power to live the way that you want us to live. That's what Jesus does for us today. And that's what we need him for today. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We struggle to understand, but help us as we simplify it. Help us to understand that it points us to our need for a Savior. We can't live the way you want us to live apart from you changing our hearts. So we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who comes to give us victory over sin and then victory over death, victory over Satan himself. We thank you for all that we have in Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for the baptism today of Malachi and for Steve. Before we close this service, Lord, we want to introduce to our church two individuals who are candidates for membership and now will be presented to the church. So we pray that you would bless this time and welcome these men to your people today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask Steve, I'm going to ask Wayne if you would come forward. I'm going to ask our leadership team if you would come forward. I know we're taking up some time today, but it's a good thing to do. There's a good purpose in it. These two men have completed the new membership class. Wayne, proud of your testimony. We're thankful for you. And our leadership team has looked at your application, gone over that with you, and has sent that application forward in approval so that we come to this point where we present you to the church for membership. And for Steve, same way, man. Praise God. Your testimony has, has gone strong. These men, along with Lawrence, he's here somewhere. He must be in the back. Um, he has, um, we have presented you to the church for approval for membership. And so we want to formally do that today. I want to start with Wayne. All who are members of Sweet Communion, please respond if you're in favor as our leadership team suggests to uh, accept Wayne as a member here of Sweet Communion. Please respond by aye. Any opposed by nay. And so it carries. Let's do the same for Steve. All who are in favor, members here, of accepting Steve as a member of Sweet Communion Baptist Church, please respond by aye. aye. Any opposed by nay? Amen. So, men, we're going to welcome you to Sweet Communion. I want to do this. I know we were to have communion today in our time is up, so I'm going to hold that off until next week. That's an executive decision I've made. Um, <laughs> would you stand with me and welcome these men? Let our leadership team be the first to, to welcome them into Sweet Communion. You can join them as our musician plays for us, and then we will conclude our service 